Welcome to Stonebridge Online. Just before we start the service, here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of worshiping online, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com, click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give by mail. If you'd like business reply offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. This weekend marks the beginning of Advent, and with that, the start of our Heart of Christmas offering. This offering helps to support five different ministries, Action Foundation, Impact, New Church Development, Front Porch Ministries, and the Christmas Joy Offering. For more information on each of these ministries, please visit our website, click on Resources. Join us for our next outdoor worship service on Sunday, December 6th at 10.30 a.m. Communion will be served and registration is required. With the Deacon Angel Tree, we have an opportunity to help families in our community who may be in need this Christmas season. During the month of November, we will collect gift cards in any amount for grocery stores, Target, Walmart, restaurants, or food delivery services. Purchased gift cards can be dropped off at the church office. Please turn in gift cards by December 1st. Thank you so much for your generosity. The Community Christmas Shop will take place at Simi Covenant Church on Saturday, December 12th. Due to the pandemic, the Christmas Shop will be a drive through event. There are many ways to volunteer, including toy donation, hosting toy collection, and serving on the day of the event. Signups are required. For those events that require registration, or for any details you might have missed, please check your newsletter or visit our website. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Hello and welcome to Stonebridge Online Worship. I'm Associate Pastor Jonathan Lucia. This week marks the first week of Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning approaching or arrival. Advent is a season of the liturgical year and is observed as a time of expectant waiting, a time of expectant preparation for both the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas and the return of Christ at the second coming. Additionally, this week also marks Pastor John's first weekend as pastor head of staff at Stonebridge Community Church. For the next four weeks of Advent, Pastor John will be preaching a special Advent series titled Anointed, based on Isaiah's prophecies. It's going to be a good worship today. It's going to be a great Advent season. Again, welcome to worship.
Hello, Stonebridge. I'm Pastor John, officially now one of the pastors here, and I am so excited to be preaching to you all this weekend. We have entered into the season of Advent, and in the season of Advent, we begin to prepare ourselves for Christmas, for the celebration of Jesus breaking into the world. And our sermon series is anointed. We're going to be looking at what it means that Jesus was anointed what it means that Jesus was the Messiah. Messiah is really just a term that means anointed. And Jesus fulfilled that role. But we're going to be reflecting on that and looking at that. So I invite you to hear the scripture passage 
from the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of God here. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. I invite you now to pray with me, wherever you are. Lord God, wherever we are as we're watching this, we just ask that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts, open up our understanding so that we can see you clearly, we can understand your word clearly, and we can come alongside the work that you are doing in this world. Reveal your character to us now through the preaching of your scriptures so we can know you, love you, and serve you better. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Stonebridge, Emily, my wife, and I, and our son JD, we've, we've been here in Simi Valley for a couple weeks now, getting ready, preparing, and getting to know this city and this community that God has called us to. And we've had so many moments where we have just felt so grateful that we are here. So grateful that here in Simi Valley, we get to raise our son, we get to enjoy this beautiful little portion of God's creation. So we are excited, and we're excited to get to know all of you um, through the months and years to come. But one of the things that I'm excited about is that my first weekend preaching is the first weekend of Advent. Because Advent is a time where we reflect on Jesus as the Messiah entering into the world. Jesus as the anointed one, which again, that's what Messiah means, entering into the world. And one of the questions that I've pondered for a while is, why is it important that Jesus was the Messiah? Why is Jesus being the anointed one of God actually important for our lives? Now, my interest in this question, it actually began not from studying the Bible, it began from a hobby of mine that I have. I have to confess this to you all. And as we move along and as you get to know me, you'll realize there's actually a lot of things I'll be confessing through sermons. Maybe they're embarrassing to some people, but it just is who I am. So I just own these things. But this, today, I have to confess to you all, I am a huge fan of fantasy literature. I have been my whole life. I'm pretty much always reading some sort of fantasy novel. When it comes to fantasy, I am as nerdy as they come. I am a huge fantasy nerd. Some sci-fi also, but mainly fantasy. Dragons, magic, elves, all of that stuff. Dwarves, I love it. I'm so into it. In fact, on our first date, my wife Emily and I, when we were on our very first date, I picked her up, we're driving in my car, and she asked me the first question, can you tell me something nerdy about yourself? 
I don't think she was really prepared for what she was asking because without skipping a beat, without even a pause, I reached back into the back seat of the car and I grabbed the novel that I was reading at that time, which was The Wise Man's Fear. It was book two of the Kingkiller Chronicles. And I handed it to Emily and said, here you go. I love stuff like this. She had this look on her face of what did I just get myself into? And she's flipping through it, not understanding what it is or why anyone would want to read these kinds of stories. She eventually pulled the conversation to politics, which she thought was a safer conversation topic than my fantasy novel. The story has a happy ending, though. We are married. We have a beautiful son. And Emily reads fantasy novels now, too. So I converted her. But I love fantasy literature. And my interest in the Messiah and why it was important, it actually developed because I was learning about and, and reading these fantasy stories and learning about this idea in fantasy literature that's been called the chosen one. It's a, it's a literary trope is a technical term. It's basically just when you look at different fantasy stories, you can see that it's really the same story. Fundamentally, these stories share certain pivot points, certain important plot points that are all the same. And in the whole chosen one idea, basically the way this works is there are some prophecies or a prophecy that set certain conditions. And when somebody meets the conditions of the prophecy, we know that person is going to be incredibly important. They're going to be somebody to watch. They're going to do something big. That's the chosen one in fantasy literature. You can think of it with King Arthur. He pulls the sword Excalibur out and then all of a sudden we know this is the king. He's going to be great. Keep your eye on him. In Star Wars, Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, also Luke Skywalker, they fit this idea of the chosen one. But you don't really expect it from Luke. He meets these conditions and all of a sudden he's the master Jedi. Buffy the Vampire Slayer fits this as well. She's just a cheerleader, but then all of a sudden she meets these conditions and she's now this vampire slayer. Probably the classic example of this in our culture, though, or at least the most popular example, is the Harry Potter book series. In those books, there's a prophecy. Harry Potter fulfills the conditions of that prophecy. So his whole life, he's known as the chosen one. And everybody is waiting to see what exactly is he going to do? How is he going to defeat Voldemort? Now, for you fellow fantasy nerds, I know a lot of you are saying, but Neville fulfilled those conditions also. That is true. But the point here is that both Harry and Neville fit those conditions and both qualify to be the chosen one. So it still stands in Harry Potter. In fact, more than anywhere else, I think it stands in Harry Potter. But this idea of the chosen one, it's really common in fantasy and it actually goes back to ancient times. It goes back to even some stories before the Bible. This is a classic fantasy literature narrative arc. And what I noticed for myself was I would view the stories about Jesus being the Messiah as the chosen one in fantasy literature. That there were some prophecies, Jesus met those prophecies, and then that means he's the Messiah, and that was really the end of the story for me. Now, the prophecies are very important. It is important that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, and he did. But that's not actually why it's important that Jesus was the Messiah, nor are the prophecies the main reason we know Jesus was the Messiah. However important they are, and they are important, 
that actually doesn't tell us that Jesus was the Messiah in and of itself. And the main reason for that is something that you can see in history. In Jesus' day, there wasn't just one prophecy about the Messiah that everybody agreed on, nor was there just one idea of who the Messiah would be or what the Messiah would do. There were as many different hopes and expectations for a Messiah as there were groups in Jewish culture in Jesus' day. You had some Jewish people who lived out in the desert, and they had certain hopes for a Messiah. You had others who lived in the city, and they hoped that the Messiah would overthrow the Roman government. You had Jewish people who lived all throughout the region. And each different group had different hopes and ideas, different ways that they interpreted the scriptures that led to these hopes for the Messiah. You can actually see this in the Gospels. In the Gospels, Jesus proclaims himself as Messiah, but people start to walk away from him because he's not going to overthrow Rome. When they realize he's not going to lead a violent revolution, they abandon him. At one point, they want to make him king because they expect the Messiah to become the king. And Jesus wanders off into the desert. There were different hopes, different expectations, different ideas of what prophecy said. So that when Jesus came on the scene, people weren't sure he was the Messiah. It wasn't clear to them until later on that he was the Messiah. So while the prophecies are important, that's actually not what everybody was looking for from a Messiah. The fulfillment of the prophecies was not the most important thing that a Messiah was supposed to do. Instead, when we look at the Isaiah passage that I read earlier, Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, we can start to see what ties all these different hopes for the Messiah together. Because while the specific prophecies were different that they hoped for to be fulfilled, and different understandings of the prophecy were different, what pretty much everyone agreed on was that there were certain problems in the world. Problems like violence, poverty, oppression, death, disease. And the Messiah was how God was going to address those problems. So anyone who wanted to claim to be the Messiah had to have some sort of response to those problems, to all the things that are broken in this world, all those things that make us feel broken and full of grief, the things that we look around in the world and our hearts are broken by, all that is broken. The Messiah was going to be anointed to mend the broken. That was the main purpose of the Messiah. To mend the broken things in this world. And that's what was hoped for here. So when you see it in Isaiah 61 here, in this passage that I read earlier, you see the prophet saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim deliverance to the captives, liberty to uh, release to the prisoners. You see that this is what the Messiah was going to do, to comfort those who mourn. That was the mission of the Messiah, was to proclaim how these problems are going to be mended, how all that's broken is going to be mended and fixed. 
Jesus actually takes this passage in Isaiah and he uses it in the Gospel of Luke to help people understand what he's going to do. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry as the Messiah, he quotes Isaiah 61 here. This is Jesus' mission statement. This is his purpose as the Messiah, what he's going to do, because this is what the Messiah was actually expected to do. However important the prophecies are, if a Messiah didn't address these problems, no one was going to follow them. This is what the Messiah was to do. In this passage, Isaiah 61, it was written by the prophet Isaiah and it was proclaimed as a prophecy about distant future. But that word anointed in there, in Hebrew, that's the word that would give us the term Messiah. So this passage obviously gets connected to the Messiah. It shapes the hopes for the Messiah. And it encapsulates what was really at its core the hope around the Messiah was that violence would be gone, that peace would reign, that disease would be gone, that healing would reign, that death might be overcome. Those were the hopes that oppression would cease. As I say that, though, for those of us who proclaim Jesus is the Messiah, which obviously I do and I believe you do as well, for those of us who proclaim Jesus as the anointed one of God, as anointed to mend all that is broken, we have to acknowledge that there's a problem with this. We look around the world today, and these problems are still here. While Jesus' mission was to mend the broken, while the Messiah's hope was to mend the broken, we still see broken things in this world. We still have violence, and particularly right now, at our time in history, we have this devastating pandemic. We have people throughout the world who have lost their lives, loved ones who have had to say goodbye to people they love. Our economies throughout the world have been hampered, hindered. Our economies are struggling. On top of that, in our own nation here, we have so much division. Our communities have been broken. People don't agree on what the correct information sources are. We live in a really trying time. We can look around and see that there is a lot that feels very broken right now. I once was talking to a rabbi. And I asked him, we had, we had a relationship where I could ask this, and I just said, why don't you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And he said, the Messiah was supposed to solve all these problems. Look around at the world, though, they're still here. If, if Jesus was the Messiah, why do we still have these problems? It's a real question. It's one that we can't just brush under the rug. But I think when we look at this Isaiah passage, we can start to understand a little bit of why Jesus was the Messiah, but these problems are still here. Because Jesus doesn't quote this part of Isaiah 61. If we go on into verse 4, Jesus doesn't quote that portion of it. But it's so important to understanding the hope for the Messiah. Because if you read Isaiah 61 and you get to the second half of verse 3 and into verse 4, you start to see the prophet saying, They will be oaks of righteousness planted to display God's glory. They will rebuild the devastations. They will repair the cities. They will build the, the devastations that happened of old. It's language along those lines there. 
at the end of Isaiah. Who is the they, though? Well, the they are the poor that the good news has been proclaimed to. The they are those who mourn and are now being comforted. The they are the prisoners and the captives that release and liberty and deliverance have been proclaimed to. You see, Jesus, by quoting Isaiah 61, is helping us to understand that part of his plan as the Messiah is to take all those that he preaches to, that he proclaims to, and he's going to incorporate them into his plan to address these problems in the world. Somehow, they get to be part of God's work in addressing these problems. Another way of phrasing this is that when it comes to Jesus' understanding of himself as the Messiah, the church is a core part of Jesus' mission as the Messiah. The Messiah is anointed to, to mend the broken, and he's going to do that. Jesus is going to do that by proclaiming this good news, by giving hope to people who will then form communities, who can rebuild their cities, who can repair their cities, who can see all that's broken where they live and work to fix it, to try to heal it. Now, we know it's not going to be perfect until Jesus does return, but our role as the church, because we are those people who once needed the good news proclaimed to us. We are all those who mourn at times. Many of us are literally poor when it comes to finances. Throughout the world, Christians, we are people who grieve like everybody else. But the difference is that the Messiah has proclaimed to us the news of hope, has given us the glimpse of the resurrection so we can have hope for a healed world. So we go around trying to create communities that can model that so that other people can share that hope. And the more we do that, the less we see these broken things taking over the world. The truth of the gospel is, it's not a fantasy story. Jesus doesn't just fit the, the, the trope, the literary idea of the chosen one. That's not what the Messiah was expected to do. The truth of the gospel is, God has preached hope to us so that where we are, we can share that hope. We can come alongside the Messiah's work to mend the broken things in this world. That's the invitation. And that's why it's so important that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's why this passage in Isaiah helps us to understand what our role actually is here. We get to become part of God's work in repairing the cities that God has placed us in. And for us, and now for Emily and JD and me, that means Simi Valley. It means Moore Park. It means Los Angeles. It means our community here. What can we be doing? What can we be doing to help ourselves see the work that God is doing and come alongside that work here in this community? I'm sure and I already know that there's so many ways in which you all are doing that. How can we invite more people into that? How can we have that be what defines us as people who follow Jesus as the Messiah, who proclaim as, as Messiah? How can we come alongside the work he's doing to mend the broken? That's why it's important that Jesus was the Messiah. The prophecies, yes, they're very important. But overall, the Messiah was anointed to mend the broken. 
and we're invited to become a part of that. So I invite you, wherever you are, to reflect. Where have you seen God working in this community? And how might you invite others to become part of that work? That's what the Messiah invites us to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Stonebridge, as you go from wherever you are, may you know that God carries you. May you know that Jesus is the Messiah. May you know that Jesus came to mend the broken things in this world. And may you come alongside the work that Jesus is doing. May you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace, Stonebridge. Amen. Restoring us a child